Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. I am Rick Thomas, and you are listening to Your Daily Drive, the podcast where we put our article content in audio format so you can listen. I want you to think about the last person who disappointed you. Do you have that person in mind? Is that person me? (laughs) I hope not. But if it is, let's just work with it. Who was the last person who disappointed you? Now, here's my next question. What are your thoughts? Maybe a better way of asking that question is, how is the gospel guarding your mind from thinking unkindly or in other negative ways about that person? Here's the critical question that I'm asking you, is where do you place the log and the speck when you think about those who have hurt you. Now, maybe you have a long list of folks who have hurt you, not just the last person, but you can think of two, three, four, five people who have hurt you. I know some of you can go back into your history 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago, and you still remember the person who hurt you. And so that will work as well. But here's the critical question. How is the gospel guarding your mind from thinking unkindly or in other negative ways about that person? The gospel is about transformation. It should transform all of us, and it should transform our past in the sense of how we view our past. And we must view our past from a gospel sent through a gospel-centered lens If we don't, we can set ourselves up for a a lot of other things in addition to the actual disappointment that happened to you. Cynicism, bitterness, anger, depression, and many other things. And so I want to talk about it in this podcast. If you want to read this podcast, you're welcome to do that. Go to our website, rickthomas.net, N-E-T. Someone was on our live chat today, and they were asking how to find an article. They knew the entire article, and so they were typing it in, but it wasn't coming up. And our live chat person told that individual what you might, what might be better for you to do is to type a smaller portion of the article. You could type in critical difference, or you could type in log and spec, and more than likely you will pull it up. And if you want to, you can read it. I would encourage you to do that. I have some other links here. As with all of our Your Daily Drive articles, three, I typically put three in all the articles so that you can do further reading if you want to do a deeper dive on the subject at hand. I also have a short video here that might be of interest to you. The way that I'm going to begin this podcast is I want to share with you a thought that came in. Someone wrote in, and just let me read with, read to you what they said. They said, I love Drive-By Marriage. Drive-By Marriage is an audio series that I did with Todd Frill several years ago where Todd and I got together and, and talked about marriage and 30-something. Uh, we made 30-something 15-minute uh, recordings, I guess, If you're interested in Drive-By Marriage, you can go to our store and click on the link and it'll take you right where you need to go and you can get uh, the MP3 files. Uh, You can get Drive-By Marriage and would love for you to do that. It's been a big seller. A lot of people from all over the world have written in of how God has used that audio series in their life and in their marriages. And so I would encourage you to do that if you want a little marriage help. 
But the member wrote in and said, I love drive-by marriage. Learning to know and remember that I am the biggest sinner in the room is basic 101 Christianity. In one of the talks that I gave with Todd, I said something about being the biggest sinner in the room, and it's coming from Matthew 7, verses 3, 4, and 5, where Jesus talked about addressing the log in your eye before you address the speck in the other person's eye. And I said it as, you need to realize that you are the biggest sinner in the room. And so this person is listening to that particular audio in the Drive-By Marriage series, and they say, remember that I'm the biggest sinner in the room is basic 101 Christianity. The supporter goes on to say, it appears as though it is sanctification amnesia that happens to us after we are born again. Simply put, we forget where we came from which is the critical problem that we all need to discuss when thinking about this concept. In my opinion, the supporter says, it should be foundational for the Christian walk, and I wholeheartedly agree with that statement. And because it should be foundational to the Christian walk, I have a 2,000-word article here that I want to spend talking through this idea that I've titled The Critical Difference Between the Log and Speck coming from Matthew 7, 3, 4, and 5, or as my supporter here is saying from the Drive-By Marriage series, who is the biggest sinner in the room? As they say, this should be basic 101 Christianity. If you want to talk about this podcast, I would love to engage you about it. Go on our forums and you can do that. That is the place where you can talk with me and my team about all sorts of issues. And I must say our forums are, are busy places these days, but we would love for you to jump in too so we can talk. And so if you do have a question, that's the place to do it. Not on Facebook, not on other any other social media platform. We just don't have the human resources to guard or to manage all the places where our, our resources do go. And so it's like a big funnel. Everything leads to our forums. And if you want to talk, if it's important to you, it's important to us, and we'll meet you on our forums. Again, the title, The Critical Difference Between a Log and Speck. Let me talk about, first of all, the humbling effect of the gospel. And that really has to be the first thing. I do believe after a person is born again, as they realize what God has done for them through Christ's atoning death on the cross, and that they not only have an eternal seat in heaven, but all their sins, past, present, and future, are removed, dropped into the depths of God's ocean. Every Christian should teach this concept, the concept of the biggest sinner in the room, as my supporter says. It should be like second nature to us. In a sense, it is our second nature, the sinning side of us. Or as Paul talked about, he said it's our former manner of life. You remember what he said in Ephesians 4? You see, Paul understood that there are two parts of us in this sense, two natures, you could say. We have a former manner of life. We also have a new life that is in Christ. One doesn't fully replace the other. So now we do have a new nature. Now this new nature, Christ's nature, is our primary transforming nature, but we still have the Adamic one. 
that nature did not entirely die. Paul says in Romans 8.13, For if we live according to the flesh, he's talking to Christians here, we can live according to the flesh. He said, if you do, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And so the Christian life is a life of warfare. And Paul was appealing to the Christians in Rome as he was to the church in Ephesus, that we need to know and deal with this reality, this duality that is within us. Let me read the full text in Ephesians where Paul wrote the text, which is also a template for transformation. In Ephesians 4, 22 through 24, he said to put off your old self. And again, you have to remember he's talking to Christians which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God. So we have two selves here. We have the old self and the new self, and this new self created in the likeness of God in true righteousness and, and true holiness. Now think about the implications of Paul's words. Christians who have the alien righteousness of Christ are also carrying around their Adamic nature. We brought Adam's nature into our Christian experience, which is what Paul is saying in Ephesians. Now that in itself should have a humbling effect for all of us to think that there are still areas of corruption in me that can deceive me which should put me in a constant state of spirit-illuminated, guarded humility. I call this the Mephibosheth factor. You remember Mephibosheth in 2 Samuel 9, 10? It says that Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. What he's talking about there is David wanted to bless someone. He found Mephibosheth who was lame, and he wanted him to eat at the king, King David's table. In 2 Samuel 4, 4, it says this, Jonathan, the son of Saul, had a son who was crippled in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel, and his nurse took him up and fled, and as she fled in her haste, he fell and became lame, and his name was Mephibosheth. David wanted to bless someone in Saul's family, so he chose the lame boy, Mephibosheth, whom David blessed with the forever privilege of always eating at the king's table. That is the Mephibosheth factor. If you are a believer, you have the forever privilege of always eating at the king's table. But in this life, there's a dual reality. Though you're sitting at the king's table, you are always lame. Mephibosheth was lame. There is always something wrong with me. As Paul says in Romans 7, 18, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. If you are a believer, you are lame. But here's the duality. You are sitting at the king's table. So I know that there is always something wrong with me, and I know that I'm always eating at the king's table. In Colossians 3.1, it says, If then you have been raised with Christ, 
seek things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Now, as you think about this dichotomy of always lame but always seated with the king, there should be several characteristics that inform your mind and habituate your life. Let me share with you nine characteristics that should be part of every Christian's life. I've already mentioned one. I'll repeat it here. Humility. The fact that the Christian continues to carry evil in his body of death, it should humble him to know his brokenness, lame in his feet. It should set a low trajectory on how the Christian engages life and engages other people. You always come at other people from a place of humility because you are always aware of your lameness. And so the first characteristic of the believer is humility. Here's another one, another characteristic that should inform your mind and habituate your life, self-awareness. These two realities, born in Adam and born in Christ, they don't discourage you. They don't. They shouldn't. They should motivate you, however, to be alert to Adam's tendencies. That's what I mean by self-awareness. You are aware of the reality. You live in the reality of who you are. This duality, and it makes you humble, one, two, self-aware. Number three, self-suspicious. Being born in Adam stimulates you to know that, well, you could be wrong in your motives. You could be wrong in your assumptions. You could be wrong in your perspectives. And so as you think about that person who disappointed you, because you are living in the fullness of this reality of who you really are, born in Adam, saved in Christ, you want to be self-suspicious. You're not omniscient. And so in a healthy way, in a biblical way, you know that you could be wrong about your motives, your assumptions, your perspectives. Number four, compassion. The attitude with which you look at fellow strugglers is not arrogance, but pity. Knowing they are like you, whether that person is saved or lost And so here are several characteristics, humility, self-awareness, self-suspicion, compassion toward others. Number five here is confession. Your imperfections spur you on to get rid of anything that hinders your lame walk with the Lord. We all are lame as we are walking with God And therefore, when God in His mercy brings an imperfection to our minds, we are quick confessors. Number six is teachability. You're a humble Christian. That means you are a teachable Christian because you have this self-awareness that the Spirit is giving to you. Humility, self-awareness, self-suspicion, compassion, confession, teachability. And then number seven, charitable judgments. Knowing that you are no different from others. Again, you're thinking about that person who last disappointed you or whatever person that came to mind when I asked you earlier. And because you understand the duality of your own life, because you're trying to discern the critical difference between the log and the speck, as the title of this podcast suggests, one of, the, one of your characteristics is charitable judgments. You're knowing that you know that that person is no different from anyone else. You're careful about how you think and respond to that individual. 
and you are aggressive in removing any self-righteousness, any greater than, better than attitude. Number eight, you're unwilling to compare. You're training yourself not to compare your good characteristics with the bad characteristics of other people. The measuring stick is always Christ, not other people. Thus, you guard against making these uncharitable comparisons. And then finally, number nine is gratitude. Thanksgiving is what rolls off your tongue as you sit at the king's table, but always aware that your body is still lame. Now, let me ask you, how are you doing With humility, self-awareness, self-suspicion, compassion, confession, teachability, charitable judgments, unwilling to compare, and gratitude. Here are some questions that you can use, and I would encourage you to go to this podcast. Go to the article here and use these questions that I'm going to ask you as your call to action, as a way that you can respond biblically and humbly uh, to this podcast. What I want you to do is to examine the log in your eye. And so I'm going to take each one of those characteristics and I want to ask you a question. The first one is humility. How does the reality of who you were before Christ came and the current effects of who you are humble you? As you think about your current state, how does it humble you? Self-awareness, number two. As you engage life, how self-aware are you of the lameness that you still have? even though you are the king's child. Number three, self-suspicion. How self-suspicious are you of the potential deception in how you think and interpret people and situations? So critical that we need to have a healthy self-suspicion. Number four, compassion. How does the Mephibosheth factor shape your view of others, especially those who have hurt you. Number five, confession. Are you a quick confessor when you make a mistake? You are entirely free to be honest and transparent because you're the king's child. You have nothing to hide. You have nothing to protect because you're fully, you're a fully free child of God. Are you a quick confessor? Teachability. Your bibliocentric self-awareness makes you teachable, not arrogant, aloof, or impervious to change. The question is, how teachable are you? Number seven, charitable judgments. How careful are you in withholding uncharitable judgments of others? Number eight, unwilling to compare. How prone are you to positively compare yourself to the negative aspects of others. The Bible word for this is, as you know, self-righteousness. And then finally, number nine, gratitude. You begin with humility, that was at the top of the list, and you end with gratitude. You end with gratefulness. And so the question is, how grateful are you because of what the gospel has provided for you. If you do consider yourself the biggest sinner in the room, recognizing that you are lame before God, it will level your soul. It will guard your heart. You will be always examining your log first, regardless of what someone else has done 
to you. If your chief and first aim is to figure out what the other person did to you, why he did it, why he did what he did, or how you can overcome or persevere in spite of the realities of what he did, you have started in the wrong place. Unfortunately, that's where many of us are tempted to always begin conflict resolution with the speck and not with the log. In all conflict, big or small, the first place to begin is in your own heart, not with the other person. To make this mistake is to stay forever stuck in relational conflict, or a morbid personal funk that could lead to problems like bitterness, criticalness, walking away from the Lord, unremitting anger, resignation, this is how things will always be, medication, or depression. And there are a lot of Christians who stay in this morbid personal funk because they are fixated more on what the person, the individual did to them rather than addressing what is going on in their own hearts. Now, if you are stuck here, you will make your relational context the battleground for constant skirmishes. Now, regrettably, Christians and non-Christians have made it their passion to talk about the other person before they correctly and insightfully adjust their cells by first addressing their hearts. This worldview is tied directly to a victim mentality that has corrupted their thinking. The gospel is better than this. The gospel is transformative. You must address how much the gospel is changing you. Now, what I would encourage you to do is it would be wise, it would be practical to invite another person into the conversation, into this conversation, as it could prove to be an excellent opportunity for you to mature more than whatever you are, whatever level you are at this point. And I would encourage you to take this examination of log These questions that I asked you earlier, humility, self-awareness, self-suspicion, compassion, confession, teachability, charitable judgments, unwilling to compare, and gratitude, and take these nine questions, one for each one, and invite another person into the conversation with you. It would be a great opportunity. Some counselors suggest that a good practice when working through conflict is to make two lists. This is something that's that I have seen to be pretty common among biblical counselors. List number one would be all the sins that the other person committed against you. List number two would be all of your offenses. I do not recommend this practice. And the reason I don't recommend this practice is because you don't need a list to prove anything. It's not about a list. It is about who you are, not what you do primarily. There is a difference between ontological heart dysfunction, meaning who you are as a being, and the functional sinful sinful behaviors, what you do outwardly to other people. Ontological realities represent your state of being, who you are as a person, whether in Adam or in Christ. Functional realities represent what you do, the things that flow out of who you are or flow out of your ontology. This, the issue that's in view here is a matter of order 
and biblical sanity. You have to get this order right or you won't experience biblical sanity. You have to start with who you are, not what you are doing or what the other person is doing. Now, in the context of this discussion, it doesn't matter what they have done to you. What matters is who you are, or in this case, who you were in Adam before Christ saved you. List comparison can be dangerous, and it can be soul-crushing. Now, of course, it does matter what they did to you. Please don't send that email. It does matter, but in a vacuum, in a context, in the context of this podcast, what I'm talking about is how to transform here. And if you want to change, your first call to action is to address your heart, not your sin list and not their sin list. You see, there's an evangelism, uh, evangelism approach that tries to get the unsaved person to admit that he is a sinner by getting him to acknowledge that he has sinned. And if you follow this course of logic, the unregenerate person must own at least one sin from his past. And based on that information, he agrees, confession, that he is a sinner and he asks Christ to save him. Now, on the surface, there's nothing wrong with this approach. It's biblical. But let's just suppose, for sake of argument, that the person did not own any sin. He did not admit any past wrongs. Well, guess what? Is he still a sinner? Regardless of what he wants to own or disown, his functional behaviors, his sin list, he is still a sinner. It's an ontological truth. You are a sinner, whether you admit it or not. We sin because we are sinners, not I am a sinner because I sin. The main thing that must be at the forefront of my mind is that I am a sinner regardless of the length of my sin list. Now, here's the critical point of this, of all of what I am saying. If you focus on the sins rather than the fact that we are all the same in Adam, several bad things can happen to you, like self-righteousness. You can elevate yourself above another person. Foolishness. You can compare yourself to other people, which is grossly unwise. Self-centeredness. You can go on these morbid sin hunts, wallowing in sin. Deception. You can play mental gymnastics by ranking your sin or degrees of depravity against another person. Depression. Human-centered comparisons will always lead to discouragement and ongoing relational hostility. If I understand this fallen aspect of who I am, meaning I understand the falling aspect of the gospel correctly, I know that as a born-in-Adam person, I reek to high heaven. Corruption has taken hold of me. And apart from a divine rescue, I will spend a Christless eternity in hell. This worldview has nothing to do with how much I have sinned. I was born in sin, which makes me identical to every other person who has ever been born in Adam. Now, with that kind of clarity, I can conclude several things. Let me give you a short list. I do not need to look for another person's sin. I don't need to go on sin hunts. I do not need to look for my sin. I do not need to compare my sin to someone else's transgression. 
I am no different from any person on the planet as a born-in Adam person. I do not need to think that I'm better than any other person. I do not need to think that I'm worse than any other person. I do not have to judge, criticize, look down on, or think less of any other person. I do not have to elevate myself above any other person, comparing our sin list. I do not have to have a lousy attitude toward any person as though their total depravity is worse than my total depravity. I do not have to withhold compassion from any person. Two bums do not sit in the gutter counting their pennies to see who has more or less. Bums are bums. Functionally, one bum may have 15 cents to his name while the other bum may have a quarter to his. The first bum does not walk away thinking he is less of a bum than the rich bum with a quarter. Regardless of what may be jingling in their tattered pockets, they are both bums. If the rich man in town adopted them, both would be equally grateful because from an ontological perspective, they were the same. They are the same. Sin list and sin comparison comes from a heart of legalism. The person reared in the Christian home who has a much shorter sin list is no different from the most functionally vile sinner known to man, though his sin list could wrap a city block. When two Christians arm themselves with this perspective, both of them come from the same place. And if it wasn't for the imposing, transformative gospel in their lives, they would still be in darkness, wallowing in the stench of their total depravity. The key here is for us to understand that we are the same. And if we don't get the log and the speck correctly, we will never be able to solve our relational dysfunction. If you would like to talk about this podcast, please come to our website, rickthomas.net. Ask your question. The title of the podcast, The Critical Difference Between a Log and Speck. Thank you so much for listening. Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net, rickthomas.net.